And there ends the reading, Psalm 116, verses 1 through 19. And I call your attention once again to verse 12 here, where the psalmist writes, What shall I render to the Lord? And notice that the Lord is all capital, L-O-R-D, meaning the covenant name Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on which scholars you want to listen to. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? So the setting of this psalm is that of a man who had experienced some illness or danger in his life. That much is very obvious in the reading of it. And having been delivered from whatever that was, he now makes his gratitude known to the Lord and declares what he will do to show how thankful he is. One of the marks of a mature believer is that of having this temperament of gratitude. The immature person, by contrast, has an attitude of unthankfulness, ingratitude. And according to some people, that is a great sin. I don't disagree with that, frankly. I don't know that it's the greatest sin, but it is certainly a big one. Ingratitude also denotes or indicates spiritual immaturity. For example, you know, a baby, well, an infant does not always appreciate what the parents are, are doing for them. They have very short memories, babies do. Their concern is not what you did for me yesterday, but what are you going to do for me today, right now especially. The past is meaningless, and to a baby so is the future. They live for the present. They're immature. Those who are mature, however, are deeply appreciative of those who have labored in the past. You know, one of the reasons that we commemorated our 100th, 100 and, uh, what was it, 31st, 32nd anniversary of our church. I think it was back in 2017 when we did that. We had a homecoming. We had packed house, present and former members. Everybody showed up. Well, one reason we did that was to show our appreciation for those who founded this church over 130 years ago and those who've gone before us in faith, those who labored in the past. Those who are mature recognize, they appreciate those who labor during the present also and provide for those who will be laboring in the future. Since Thanksgiving was just a few days ago, I don't think it's out of order for us to reflect on the many blessings of the Lord. And let us see what the psalmist here said he would do in showing his gratitude for all the Lord had done for him. First of all, he says he will take up the cup of salvation. You see, until we see ourselves as sinners who have become saved by the grace of God, we, as somebody once said, we begin at no beginning and we work toward no conclusion in developing and moving forward in our lives. Because until a person becomes a Christian, they lack the, the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. And that is needed. That is vital to give them the strength and guidance in facing the trials of life. It was the great Welch preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who once remarked that Christianity begins with repentance. If a person does not see themselves as needing to repent of a sinful life or a life that is not lived to the glory of God, which is the same thing, it's a sinful life, they will see no need of having Christ as their Lord and King. Now, there are some folks who, uh, 
realizing the importance of having Christ as our Lord and King, and they want others to have that relationship, well, they try scaring people or frightening people into becoming Christians. But, you know, the interesting thing is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul reminds us that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And the fact is, people who can be scared or frightened into claiming some religious faith or other usually don't last long in that commitment. For us in this Thanksgiving season of 2023, let's ask, have we taken up the cup of salvation? Have we given thanks to God for his great gift to us in Christ Jesus our Lord? So then secondly, the psalmist says, I will pay my vows to the Lord. In the text, he does not tell us about the nature of those vows. It may be, we can speculate, that in a crisis point in his life, he prayed that the Lord, if he delivered him, he would change his lifestyle. That may have been what it was. Or perhaps he agreed with the Lord that he, he himself was deficient in bringing his sacrifices to the altar of the Lord. I heard a story about a businessman who made some major financial investments and he ended up losing everything he had in a very bad business deal. That man was on the brink of suicide. He didn't see a way out. So he sought spiritual guidance from a fellow believer. And that fellow believer told him, there's only one hope for you now, my friend. You have staked your life on material things. And now that those things are gone, you have nothing left in life, personally, by way of resources. If you want deliverance, his friend told him, you get down on your knees and I'll get down on my knees with you right now. And you promise the Lord that if he will give you strength for a, a comeback, you will dedicate a tithe, at least a tithe, of everything that he gives you to the work of Christian missions and the local church. Well, that man did exactly as his friend suggested. And his entire life changed. Not only did he recover financially, one of his sons went on to seminary to become a pastor. See, my friends, there are people, and I suspect many of us in this room today, who will bear witness without hesitation that the blessings of God abound to those who are faithful in their giving of tithes and offerings to the Lord's work. Stewardship is a vitally important part of the Christian life. And, and whether we're talking about the giving of our finances or of our time or of our talents and abilities, vowing to use them, all of them, for the work of God is an important way for us to show our gratitude toward him. But we must be very careful, having made that decision, say, that when we promise the Lord that we're going to do that, we must... Keep in mind that if we fail in that promise, if we go back on that promise, well, you know, I was going to make this contribution to the church. I was going to make that contribution to that mission, to the Presbyterian Missionary Union, to the Chalcedon Foundation, whatever. Yeah, but I don't think I want to do that now. I spent too much money at Christmas time. If we go back on our vow to the Lord, we may find ourselves worse than before. And then thirdly, the psalmist says, he will be the Lord's servant forever. I think that as the writer of this psalm reflected on the great deliverance that the Lord gave him, he probably realized something. He realized that the Lord had saved his life so that he might be able to fulfill God's purpose for him in this life. 
And throughout this psalm, the writer recognizes that he has a relationship with God Almighty. And because of that, he has been blessed, blessed with certain benefits and is therefore obligated to render unto God certain acts of obedience. And that relationship and those services are so important that the Lord has determined that it was not yet time for this man to be taken out of this physical life. He has, therefore, rescued him from the very jaws of death. And so the Lord has a claim on that man's life. He has become a servant, a debtor to the Lord. And there's also an element here of love and friendship that makes him even more determined to be faithful. Now, you know, I, uh, I think that there are perhaps too many people in our time, not just in the past year or two, but going back decades, really, who maybe overemphasize the friendship aspect element of our relationship to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus. Well, that makes it sound as though that is the main part of the relationship. But that notwithstanding, I think that we can see that the psalmist is operating from the attitude that if a friend is truly worth having, he is worth serving in the presence of other men. And that really highlights something or at least explains something or interprets something that Jesus himself said in Matthew 10.32. Remember this passage? Jesus said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. If a friend is worth having, that friend is truly worth serving in the presence of others, including our Lord Christ Jesus, if we're going to call him our friend. See, this is a great privilege. Indeed, something for which we ought to be thankful that we have been called to serve our Lord and our God. So in terms of the exposition of this, these 19 verses, please note in conclusion the underlying theme of this psalm. It is that gratitude should characterize or mark out our lives before God Almighty. It was the, uh, the great Anglican Bishop Jeremy Taylor, almost 300 years ago, who made this statement. And I've often thought this would be a good one to put on a plaque and keep on your wall. You know, do one of those cross-stitch things and frame it and put it on your, above your bed or something like that. This is what he said. The private and personal blessings we enjoy, the blessings of immunity, safeguard, and liberty, deserve the thanksgiving of a whole life, the thanksgiving of an entire lifetime. Now, I, uh, I'm pretty sure that I shared this story with you a couple of years ago. And whether you remember it or not, I don't think it matters because I think it's worth repeating here. You may remember some elements of it, but I bet you don't remember all of them. So here it goes. Many, many years ago, there was a boat sailing on the waters of Lake Michigan near Evanston, Illinois. Now, let me just stop and say, if you've never seen any of the Great Lakes, you can't really appreciate the, the, the size of these bodies of water. Um, the first Great Lake I ever saw was Lake Ontario, and I wasn't really prepared. I mean, I've seen Lake Murray. I've seen other lakes here and around the area in South Carolina and other places. Lake Norman up in North Carolina, these are large lakes, but they're nothing compared to the Great Lakes. They're called Great Lakes for a reason. 
If, if you stood on the shores of Lake Michigan or Lake Ontario and, and somebody, nobody told you exactly where you were and you opened your eyes, you would probably think you're on the beach somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean. That's how big it is. So this was a, I don't know if it was a tourist ship, a passenger ship, but it started to sink. It was taking on water. It was in danger. So it happened that there were some college students in Evanston, Illinois, at nearby Northwestern University, who heard about the shipwreck, and they formed themselves into a rescue squad. And they went out on the water to help. One of those students involved in that effort was a young man named Edward Spencer. And he single-handedly managed to save 17 people from certain drowning death from that sinking ship that day. Now, I'm telling you this because what happened was many, many years later, the great evangelist and preacher, Dr. R.A. Torrey, was talking about that incident, referring to it at a meeting he was having in Los Angeles. Now, as he described this event, somebody out in the audience called out to Dr. Torrey that, as a matter of fact, that man, Edward Spencer, was present at the meeting. Dr. Torrey invited Spencer to come up to the platform. An old man with gray-white hair slowly made his way up to the steps of the podium, and wild applause rang out from the audience. And when everything had quieted down, Dr. Torrey asked Mr. Spencer, this is what he asked him. He said, is there anything that stands out in your memory from that most incredible event, that rescue effort? The old man thought for a moment, and this is what he said. He said, there's only one thing that stands out in my memory. Of the 17 people I rescued that I saved that day, not one of them thanked me. My friends, let it not be said of any of us that we have not bothered to thank the Lord for all of his benefits toward us. Now, in bringing this to a conclusion, I want to share with you a few words from the current president of the Chalcedon Foundation, Mark Rustuni, because I think on this occasion they're worth sharing. Mark Rustuni wrote these words, Thanksgiving to God cannot operate in a vacuum as an isolated act of duty. If we thank God for something, we acknowledge it as part of his providential care. We acknowledge him as our sustainer and provider. If we thank God for what we see as good, well, we must praise him for his goodness. If we thank him for his salvation, we must recognize his grace to us. The more we recognize what God does for us, the more we see who God is. He says, thankfulness is about acknowledging the goodness of God and our dependence on him. And so thus, to view thanksgiving in scripture, we must not look merely for the giving of thanks, but at the many ways men have testified to the goodness of God. And if we do this, we see acts of thanksgiving take many different forms. Worship, praise, memorials, feasts, music, proclamations, rejoicings, and dedications. He said thanksgiving may be rightly an annual celebration, but it remains a daily duty. He said one of the most amazing examples of thanksgiving in all of Scripture is written by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.12, where he says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Mark continues, 
Paul, the privileged Pharisee, turned itinerant preacher and convict, the man who suffered beatings, assassination attempts, a shipwreck for Christ, the man who was eventually beheaded by the Roman government, he understood thanksgiving because he understood the goodness of God. End of quote. My friends, I'll say it again. Let it never be said of us that we have failed to give thanks to God for all of the benefits that he has given us. Let us pray.